Dress, the history of fashion, is a production of Dress Media. people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the history of fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, Cassidy Zachary and April Callahan. Dress listeners, I'm not even a seasonal cold and the fact that I'm desperately fighting for you all to not lose my voice this week oh, no. <laughs> um, can stop us from bringing you another episode on what has to be our most requested topic of all time. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, cast the show must go on. Um, and, and the irony of the fact that while I was working on uh, this episode the last few days, I did not have somewhere on my person to stash cough drops or a Kleenex. Well, this irony did not escape me. Um, for a couple of days in a row now, the outfits that I have happened to have been wearing did not have pockets. And this is, of course, a common frustration shared by millions of us who wear women's clothing today. Oh, yeah. And not entirely a problem exclusive to modernity, as we will find out in this episode. For centuries, garments gendered for women have proportionately had far less pockets than those intended for their male counterparts. And as the architect Bernard Rudofsky pointed out in the Museum of Modern Art's first ever exhibition to probe the topic of clothing, and that was called Our Clothes Modern, a dapper gent of his day, and this was in 1947, between his pants, shirt, vest, coat, and overcoat April might have a shocking total of 24 pockets at his disposal. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And also like, why have I been wandering around the last couple of days without even a single pocket? Why? (laughs) And also, why is it that when we do have pockets, this is actually a thrilling point of pride that when someone compliments you on your ensemble, you like, gleefully point out look it has pockets so true um yeah so all of these whys are the subject of today's episode um the topic of pockets is actually a question that we first started exploring in 2021 when we did a two-part episode with Ariane Fenato about her and Barbara Berman's book The Pocket, A Hidden History of Women's Lives, 1660 to 1900. And that book focuses on tie-on pockets or these sort of bag-like detachable pockets that were worn beneath women's skirts for centuries. But today, we're actually going to turn our attention to the modern pocket as they are or are not built in and sewn into our clothes. Today, Dr. Hannah Carlson joins us to discuss her recently released book, Pockets, An Intimate History of How We Keep Things Close. Dr. Carlson is a professor of dress history and material culture at the Rhode Island School of Design, or RISD, and we are so pleased to have her join us to unpack one of fashion history's hot potato topics, the gender politics of pockets. Dr. Carlson, welcome to Dressed. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You've obviously been working on this book for some time. I'm going to guess that you have been sharing that fact with the people in your life. Probably some of the women in your life have given you lots of oohs and ahs on this topic. So I bet it comes 
<laughs> as no surprise to you that we receive a ton of listener requests um, to address this perceived gender disparity when it comes to the subject of pockets. And I, I want to quote something that you write in the introduction of the book. You write, who has pockets and who had to get them is one of the concerns of this book. So no doubt you are about to make a whole lot of dress listeners very, very happy. <laughs> thought, oh, the topic is too small to consider. It was women who were the most excited and the reason really to just keep going because as it, as it turns out, there's a lot to say. And and that support was really helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and your book covers quite the expanse of time. It starts with the beginning of pockets. And so around the 1550s and continues to the present. And yeah, I, next time I really want to do a book that's a very limited scope. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very impressive and super informative. But before we get into the details of the book itself, I'm hoping that you could tell us a little bit about your impetus in writing the book and how you personally first came to this perennially pressing problem for us women of pockets. Yeah, well, I was, I was one of those occasions when I was temporarily stranded. It happened to be uh, a fire drill, but any number of occasions. You know, have you ever locked yourself out of the house Absolutely. or out of the car? <laughs> and you do that gesture where you pat yourself down and... I realized that that gesture says so much about our expectations for being dressed. Mm -hmm. And of course, women's wear so often falls down on the job. But I also, at the same time, happened to be teaching a class on um, Robinson Crusoe and castaways in general. And I was struck by Defoe's description of his castaway because he also doesn't have what he needs when he first lands on that island. He has like a little pocket knife, some tobacco, a tobacco and a box. And there's this moment where he says, oh, my God, th I, this is it. I'm doomed. I don't have enough. But later on the next day, he sees his ship has foundered in the distance. And he strips his clothes. He goes to the ship. He collects what he needs. He comes back. His pocket's stuffed full of biscuits, so he has something to eat. And that moment was a huge joke in the 1720s. <laughs> Defoe's notorious blunder, the famous passage of his swimming to shore naked with his pockets full of biscuits. Uh -huh. So that just crystallized for me this notion that pockets, for some people, for men, for men, are so naturalized that you could strip your clothes at shore and still expect to have pockets at your disposal. So this notion that do your clothes outfit you when you really need it, when yeah. you really need them, and that they don't for, for women, you know, was the impetus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is quite the quirk of continuity, right? Or or discontinuity in the book. Right. Absolutely, yeah, right. It was his blunder because he was he forgot what he had done with his character. But to me, it was so revealing because it suggests something that's truthful about men and women's experience. Yeah, well, it's a it's a perceived assumption right? On the part of men that the pockets are just there always. So yeah, absolutely. So your book centers largely but not entirely around inset pockets. But historically, many other ways of pocketing personal items came before inset pockets. And it might come to some listeners surprise that even within this very niche subject of pockets, pockets have their own fashion history. So 
how would you like to define a pocket? And might you give us a little bit of a, a brief overview of the who, what, when, and where of pockets prior to the rise of the inset pocket? Sure. I mean, before pockets, everybody carries bags, of course. And so the bag is nearly universal across culture and for millennia. But but in the history of dress, I think there are lots of temporary pockets. Mm -hmm. And so there are all sorts of ways in draped clothing. So if you distinguish tailored from draped, in draped clothing, there are ways to make a pouch in terms of how you drape that cloth. So there are all sorts of ways to utilize temporary pockets. Mm -hmm. um, that, for example, the chuba robe, which is kind of a coat, is belted around the waist and any excess fabric is pulled over the belt. And there you have this nice sort of um, opening of sort of a large pocket. Mm -hmm. Same with the toga, the Roman toga. There was this sling shaped fold uh, and it was called the sinus, which in Latin poetry uh, referred to a fold, a winding, a secret space. Mm -hmm. And it too was considered slightly um, dangerous. The late Roman emperor Augustus insisted that that space be searched for weapons. So mm -hmm. you can put stuff in your clothing before there are tailored pockets. So I, my definition was a tailored pocket is a permanently stitched fold mm -hmm. rather than these temporary pockets. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when do we begin to see those permanently stitched pockets built into garments and in what sort of context were they first worn? So they show up about 1540, 1550. And we have no, that why they come about is a mystery. Mm-hmm. They're first stitched into men's breeches, which were those puffy sort of bloomers that end at the knee. And no tailor explains why they ban began including pockets. It's almost, they seem improvised, mm -hmm. sort of as though a tailor said, oh, these bloomers are so big and puffy. Let me just take that bag you have belted at your waist and stuff it inside the breeches instead. And they look unfamiliar to us. They Those early pockets hang from the waistband there they could be really big like 20 inches they could be made of leather they look like their precursor a small bag and they go into men's breeches really i mean there there are some pockets that show up uh, in women's clothes but it seems as though women really stick to the medieval practice of carrying a bag under your skirt mm -hmm. so women continued to carry a bag uh, which they wore tied to a belt mm -hmm. and that might be under the skirt or over the skirt in the 16th century, eventually in the 17th and 18th centuries, you get tie-on pockets. Yes. What Barbara Berman and Anne Fentineau talk about in their great book, The Pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, we have already done an episode with Ariane, so our listeners can tune back into that if they want to learn a little bit more about tie-on pockets. So these built-in pockets, these tailored pockets or inset pockets, are something new. And one thing as historians that we learn pretty quickly is that oftentimes something that's a novel or new innovations can breed anxiety. <laughs> Technological advances uh, many times spark fear and, and even in the case of something as innocuous as fashion, in this specific case, these newfangled pockets in men's breeches were the subject of some controversy. So what sort of social anxieties do we see arise during the 16th century in terms of pockets, their wearing, and their contents? Well, I think the surprising thing 
really the surprising thing to me was how much anxiety, as you just suggested, early pockets cause. One of the most sensational objects that's carried in these early pockets are the first small-scale pocket pistols. Mm. And so there's just a lot of worry into these new places hit about a man's body, all sorts of highwaymen and, you know, um, dastardly robbers, robbers could carry or stash small-scale weapons. And I think weapons had for so long been visible. So you carried your sword, you had your dagger. This was the first time you had a weapon that might be concealed. Queen Elizabeth and her successor, James I, drafts several royal proclamations. They're worried about their nations being covered in blood uh, because of these new uh, concealed weapons. The first assassination of a political leader by a handgun was also um, widely decried. And for a reason I think that we're maybe unfamiliar with, witnesses remarked that the killer, the assassin, paused as if to hand Prince William of Orange uh, a letter. But instead out from his pocket a gun and, and, and shot him. So the attack was considered unmanly because because it relied on this covert weapon. The guy was sort of unprepossessing, not very threatening looking, and he had pulled off this incredible assassination. So th- that worry was highlighted um, in this early 16th century commentary. Yeah, well, it's almost like pockets held the promise of violence. I mean, and, and we don't really think of them like that today, but they're at their early origins, that was part of their narrative. Well, I mean, there are times when we do think about that. I mean, we always say, I mean, when you, you know, any kind of encounter between law enforcement and a suspect, the the expression, take your hands out of your pockets is all about, you know, are you armed? Is Mm -hmm. this threatening? So I think that notion carries through today, certainly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but they were also just secret, and that also made them, I think, different. This notion that you could carry about something private in public space marked the pocket as being really different from the purse. That I think was also of interest um, in this early this early period. Yeah. Well, in this early period that we're speaking of um, in the uh, 16th and into the 17th century, pockets were still largely gendered. So how? Did or built-in pockets, tailored pockets. How did pockets evolve alongside the three-piece suit, which is also evolving at this period over the next few centuries? You know, you write in the book, you write, quote, the suit came to more closely resemble a cupboard or a bureau with separate drawers, even locked or trick drawers, than a simple cloth covering. So how so in terms of the suit? I mean, I think the pocket proliferates. It moves from those trunk hose all the way through the suit. So you might have it from the tip of your tails to the interior breast. And it seems like they, the, the pocket has just colonized the suit. And mm-hmm. there are all these separate places. And you could organize those places. So it's almost as though pockets or the suit becomes this portable storehouse. Mm. It allows you to carry everything you might need in public to move through the world. And all sorts of objects are now miniaturized for the pocket. You know, they're much less contentious than the pocket pistol, mm-hmm. but you could have objects that allow you to keep time, figure out where you are with a compass, record your observations with many little tablets, um, notepads. Books are miniaturized so that you can carry what you need, the information that you need on your person. There's a wonderful 1644 Bible that's the soldier's pocket Bible that's there so that you can't read a whole Bible 
but you might be in dire straits and need the words of God. And here it is, right? You can carry it right at your chest. All sorts of vice, you know, objects that allow you to, you know, carry around alcohol or, you know, snuff is made into you know, beautiful jeweled boxes that allow you to carry that stuff. You have your ear pick and handkerchief and comb also all miniaturized. So there's all these artifacts that I allow go-getting modern man to move around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's so fascinating. I, I love, um, Cassidy is a little bit obsessed with miniatures, but just the wide variety of things that have been miniaturized during these time periods to fit in the pocket specifically. I mean, it was very hip, right? Like these are very hip objects to own at the time. Men have beautiful snuff boxes and I think they do have um, all the writing toolkits and the way in which the miniature is put into these beautiful boxes and distributed and the fact that you could take it out and use it was almost half of the fun of owning it, but you could have it in your pocket and then display it sort of as you use it, I think is what made these things so attractive and interesting. And I think, you know, men and women both carry artifacts in common, but I do think that as the note of the pocket, a lot of women's objects are like housewives, which was a little miniature um, artifact that carried all you would need for your sewing projects. Mm-hmm. And so the expectation that you would be able to work at any moment and never have your hands still was something that was an expectation. But you, but you know, there's objects just as idiosyncratic as that of men that women carried. There was a wonderful Revolutionary War diary in which a woman talked about her a raid and. Her mother's tie-on pockets are stolen, and in those tie-on pockets are just a few baby's caps that she had made for her children long ago. And so clearly, the sentimental objects that you carry uh, would be unexpected and idiosyncratic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and also, too, like this gender divide um, on the subject of pockets um, also extends to kind of like issues of morality, right, in terms of some contents which were, were deemed appropriate for each sex to carry you write in the book for instance that a young girl was quote expected to have on hand things that allowed them to do good works was the same expectation placed on young boys her same age i don't think so i mean the the object that is most prized is the pocket knife Mm -hmm. and so certainly in the 19th century you see tales of rambunctious boys like tom sawyer And the thing they want most is this pocket knife. And it's not discussed as a dangerous object. Any hint that a pocket knife could be dangerous is downplayed because it allows boys to be adventurous. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of the goal of the 19th century to make sure that we didn't totally lose that rural know-how as the U.S., for example, is industrializing. And I think that's why it's sentimentalized, that, that objects that allowed you to kind of if you had to skin a squirrel on your own and bring it home for dinner, you could still do that. And, and the, the most the girls carry most are thimbles. So again, sewing, objects for sewing, objects for doing work. Mm-hmm. Objects of mm-hmm. domesticity versus objects of exploration, one could argue, right? You say it very well. <laughs> yes. And also, it goes without saying that one of the pockets functions is to keep one's possessions safe. What of this issue of not only safety and security, but also the private nature of both men's and women's pockets at this time? And was that privacy viewed differently between the genders? I think you would have to say that privacy is kind of a privilege. 
actually. And the secure pocket, certainly you, will, you could keep what you needed and any secrets safe and near your person. The danger of tie-on pockets, as well as purses, is that they can be misplaced. They can be stolen. They're, it's much harder to keep hold of them. And I think it's interesting to see all of the misogyny and sort of sexist discussion around women's purses and pockets, you know, from the, just during this whole period. And it seems almost as though there's this anxiety about women having access to what they need um, and that private space could be threatening. There were uh, discussions, for example, of the first um, bloomers. And one tailor is interviewed in the New York Times saying, you know, we don't know what they're holding in those pockets. It's not only suffrage tracks, maybe even maybe even pocket pistols. And I think this notion that these functional spaces might be threatening, uh, threatening private space, is something that clearly shows up in the in, in the evidence that I've seen. It's almost as if the early tailored, built-in inset pockets for women were were viewed as radical even though the fact that men had been wearing them much in that same function for centuries prior. Yes, pockets could be seen as radical because they are objects that allow you to move through the world with, with effortlessly. If the question is to make sure that women stay in a domestic sphere, pockets pockets do threaten patriarchal assumptions. Mm-hmm. Pocket equals agency. We're going to take a brief sponsor break here, but when we come back, we're going to chat about the pocket as performance. Dress listeners, we often refer to ourselves on the show as dress detectives, but what if we told you that you could travel back in time and solve your own fashionable mysteries? Because you can, by joining us in playing June's Journey. And April, I can't tell you how much fun I've had playing June's Journey. It's this (laughs) hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour and intrigue of the 1920s with this diverse cast of characters. And basically, each new scene takes you further into the story of a thrilling murder mystery that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. You will sleuth with June in the antique parlors of New York, the chic sidewalks of Paris, and you can even build your own luxury island estate where you get to decorate and plant decadent gardens. And there's also a chat and challenge feature where you can play alongside friends. So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Cass, as you know, we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm -hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone. With more than 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and so many more, that world out there is practically at the tip of your tongue. And that's right, dress listeners. For more than 30 years, Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning. There are no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which is incredible. You learn by immersion, and their programs are available to use on your desktop or as an app. And let's not forget that there is an amazing built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation so you learn the proper accent from the very start. 
For a limited time, dress listeners, you can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today. Welcome back, dress listeners. Hannah, I loved your chapter about two items that are most commonly stowed in the pockets, and that's hands. You wrote an entire chapter about hands in pockets. And, you know, for centuries, the question of whether to place one's hands in their pockets or not was the matter of some consternation. There was like whole moral discussions that were surrounding this debate. So what was all the fuss about, about hands in pockets? It's all about pockets placement. Pockets are dark spaces over and around erogenous zones and placing the hand inside the pocket was something that really upset all sorts of moralists and mothers and educators so much so that in the 19th century, mothers and educators were lampooned for sewing up boys' pockets so that they couldn't, they couldn't make that gesture. I think it was fascinating to me to think that gesture usually requires hands to be in motion. And yet we read someone putting their hands in their pocket as somehow communicative. It is a gesture that the fashion press and fashion history has depended on. Um, And so to look cool is part of the project of fashion. And it's, I think, revealing that fashion photography depends on an attitude that was once considered rude still has a sort of element of sexual frisson. It still looks sexy. And it also looks aloof. And it looks aloof because we read the gesture not only through the eyes of etiquette, but also through the eyes of oratory. And I think when you remove your hands, you're gesting metaphorically something about your, your engagement, something about the fact that you're disengaged, that you have an emotional inaccessibility. And that sort of jostling between sexual sexuality and inaccessibility results in the ultimate cool. And I feel like that's why it was cool in the 17th century when the courtiers did it and it's cool today. And you, it has not stopped being cool. I think in the book you use what I felt like was the perfect word and it is a French word, but it's en souance, um, in souance, um, which is... I, I, I don't know. I can't, I'm trying to think of like how I would translate that into English, but it is that kind of like detached coolness. Yeah, absolutely. And there's some gestures that don't have, don't speak to us anymore. The other place people put their hands was in their, under their coat at the suit. Think of Napoleon Bonaparte. And that, that just derives from uh, 18th century gentlemen trying to look, uh, distinguished and reserved. Uh, we don't do that today, but the but the hands and pockets still calls to us. So what one point that we haven't made entirely explicit here yet, Hannah, is at what point do we start to begin to see inset pockets or built-in pockets appear in women's garments? It's around the turn of the eighteenth, the nineteenth century, around eighteen hundred, when empire dress. That is so high waisted and narrow um, comes into fashion, and women's previously tie on pockets 
move out and you have the first fashion handbags. It's at that point that pockets, women's pockets come and go. Sometimes they're in set, sometimes they're not. Under the voluminous skirts of the 1860s, I saw inset pockets. And intriguingly, some of those early 1860s pockets for women have the exact same shape as the tie-on pocket. The, the first inset pockets for women look very much like a tie-on pocket would look. But when fashion gets narrow, the pockets seem to just come and go. And so there's some really funny commentary about some of these early inset pockets. For example... Um, by the 1880s, the bulk of the skirt gets pushed back into a huge bustle. And there are commentators, for example, on Harper's Bazaar in the 1880s, lamenting the fact that they can't reach this pocket, that it's inaccessible, that she's, one woman writes, one correspondent, that she's trying to get on a public transportation and she's, everybody's in line, really getting upset with her because she can't reach the coins to get on the bus. And she says, how can I reach them? My pocket is in South Boston. <laughs> and so, you know, I think dressmakers were valiantly trying to get a pocket in there, um, but it, it didn't actually fit. And of course... Yeah, all the volume had transferred to the, the rear of the ensemble, so she couldn't quite reach around to reach her pocket. <laughs> exactly. So women call them inaccessible when they are available. They're not dependable. They're not in the same place. Yeah, well, dependable pockets, available pockets is something that women have been craving for centuries. By the turn of the 20th century, women wanted in on this pocket game too, desperately, and they wanted them to be accessible. They wanted them to be practical. They wanted them to be useful. Um, and you write about some very real connections between the suffrage movement, dress reform, and women's campaigns for built-in pockets of their own. And I really loved this quote from the San Francisco Chronicle that you include in the book. This is from 1913. And the newspaper was writing about how suffragists were, quote, now dragging the pocket into the female emancipation problem. So, I mean, I don't know how you can get more explicit about this connection between politics and fashion and specifically the pocket in this one line. Would you like to speak a little bit more about this? Yes, I would love to. I mean, I think we think that the recent social media upset expressions of, you know, all the memes and jokes and hashtags, give me pockets or give me death, that that's recent. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and it's not recent at all. Women very clearly during that early women's rights movement and the suffrage movement pointed out that the material world has implications for, for politics. Women advocate for pockets because it's clear that, as Toad in Wind in the Willow says, without pockets, you are not equipped for the real contest. <laughs> I think when we think about the dress reform, a lot of it centers on the corset and on the big skirts. Um, but, but it was interesting and surprising to see that pockets were clearly part of that um, conversation. The women's rights advocate, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, published several articles about the lack of pockets. She was incensed that men could traipse down the street free as a lark while she was holding her skirt and parasol and purse. And then she published this really funny deliberation she had with her dressmaker. Her dressmaker refuses to insert a pocket. Her dressmaker says, a pocket would bulge you out just, would bulge you out all over. 
And Stanton says, I need it. And the dressmaker refuses to make it. And you see these ideas of femininity and the ideas of showing off the body are so strong that even that dressmaker refused to add what her client wanted. Let's not forget here too, because we've also done episodes on bloomer dress and dress reform. Um, So you can tune back into those if you're interested, but that silhouette, what still had a ton of volume in it, like it could be argued that that same volume that was in dress reform dress in those moments where women were wearing the like slightly shorter skirts with the bloomers underneath, it, it was pretty much the same kind of width that men were wearing when they first started wearing inset pockets in their own bloomers in the 16th century. So it, it's fascinating to me that, that her dressmaker was simply like, you cannot have this. It's going to bulk you up too much because, you know, to our modern day eyes today, those, even though they were shorter skirts, they were still quite wide. It really just suggests how much traditional ideas and notions of gender just trump what could have been innovative design thinking. Well, we do start to see some innovative design thinking in the 19 teens. Women's demands for pockets uh, were met to some degree by fashion during World War One, And a lot of that fashion of that era starts to kind of look towards military uniforms as inspiration. And in the hands of some of these fashion designers, this, this matter of pockets um, became at time a matter of priorities, right? Should they be practical? Should they be decorative? Should they be functional? Should they be fantasy? Can they be both? And for some designers, they were. And you do, once we like start to dip into the 20th century, talk about some of the very specific designers who have navigated these waters of the pocket. I'm hoping that you might speak a little bit about how some of the biggest names in fashion have conceptualized uh, the role of pockets in the first half of the 20th century or so. For American women's sportswear designers, certainly the pocket was just this exciting place to experiment. And Claire McCardle and Bonnie Cashin, for example, who are trying to make practical, ready to to wear um, for the woman on the go, explicitly include really big pockets, pockets that sometimes look to women's wear. So interesting to me was that these designers didn't look at the military, for example, to make sort of a big, say, cargo pocket. Um, In her 1942 popover, Claire McCardle has this one off-center big quilted pocket that's a patch pocket on her wraparound dress. And that patch pocket looks a bit like an apron pocket, but here she's repurposed it to make a chic, lovely dress that was supposed to not be as dowdy as the house dress. And that pocket was quilted, so you could stuff anything in it and you, it wouldn't be bulky. All-purpose pocket. Um, the, pop, the original version of the popover came with an oven mitt. Exactly. That was attached. You could leave it attached or you could take it off. But also a lot of women wore those as um, like a gardening cover-up as well. So you could like tuck your little gardening tools into, your, into that little pocket on the front too. Absolutely. And so I think the same sort of playful experimentation is going on with Bonnie Cashin, who makes a pocket. One of her big selling designs was the the purse pocket. And it looks like a coin purse pocket. And she would place it, you know, right at the hip and which was a great place to put it. 
we have, fashion has traditionally relied on using a big skirt to make the waist look smaller. And here you could have a functional pocket that, again, relates decoratively to another object, a purse, a coin purse, but it's fashionable as well. Some pockets were less expressive. So Chanel was really interested in having, um, you know, an anti-decorative sort of uniform uh, when we think of the Chanel suit. And those pockets that, you know, often two over two referenced, I think, masculine suiting. They weren't very capacious. You couldn't really put all that much in them, uh, but they were always there and they worked. And she was insistent that she wanted to place pockets accurately for use. And she could not stand, for example, her contemporary Dior, whose pockets might just be there because they accentuated the hip or the shoulder and were fun and decorative. She was infuriated um, by pockets that might be placed simply for decoration. Uh, and of course, Dior famously says, men have pockets to keep things in, women for decoration. And then there are all sorts of, Elsa Scaparelli just has a field day with pockets. She makes pockets shaped like women's lips, like bureau drawers. She uses, I think, pockets to think about their metaphoric resonance as these secret hidden places. And boy, she just plays and plays um, with pockets. Uh, and, and they were, I think, often very useful as well. So a whole range of designers, once they appear in women's wear in the modern era, take up the pocket as this new decorative element. And whether they make them also functional or not becomes a question for um, later designers. And I love the fact, and um, it will come as no surprise to our regular listeners of the show, that if I had to pick one fashion designer, that's my favorite, it would be Scaparelli. But you point out that in many of her garments, it was almost like a guessing game as to which of the pockets are functional and which of them are not. So it's almost like this little playful twist that she's playing with the wearer of her garments as well, not just the viewer. And I think that's like really, really fascinating and so emblematic of Scap. <laughs> yeah, and because that, that garment in particular is the bureau drawer suit where she has pockets mm -hmm. shaped to look like bureau drawers. And of course, she's making this joke because what's a chest of drawers? <laughs> and here she puts a chest of drawers over your suit. But some of those pockets were mm -hmm. working pockets and some of them weren't. And so only the wearer, as you mentioned, would know which pocket is useful and which pocket um, is just decorative. Well, you know, for some of these designers, the functionality of the pocket pandered to design. And for others, it was the reverse of that, like the design pandered to the functionality. So I'm hoping that we can get into this a little bit more in detail. In the book, you talk about two kind of recent-ish studies within the last five years or so that I'm hoping that you would like to speak about. The first one has to do with the size of pockets in gendered jeans. And the other one was more of an experiment wherein a female editor put her male colleagues in pocketless pants. What did both of these studies reveal about the expectations that we put on our clothes or conversely that our clothes put on us? Well, the, the first study is by Jan Diem and Amber Thomas, and they're writing for their journal, The Pudding. And this was a 2018 study, and they looked at 80 pairs of jeans and they were looking at the front pockets and they did this incredible graphic uh, that you can take a look at online where they asked, well, what objects actually fit in pockets? Can your phone, can your wallet, can a pen, can your hand? 
Uh, and then they determined that in these 80 pairs of jeans, women's are 48% shorter. And in fact, sometimes your hand can only fit up to your knuckle and they certainly never carry a phone. And I think reveal just how much women's fashion is so tied to aesthetics or this notion that that fashion doesn't have to meet you halfway. It doesn't have to be useful to sell it to you. Um, and here they have, they have some great numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that's the same expectation for men, right? They demand the utility um, in, in many, many, many cases. It is part of doing business in menswear. You would be run out of town if you didn't have a, a, a useful pocket. And it's just not even a question, I think, is the, is the real difference. It just was standardized so early with the suit. And it, it never, never don't consider adding a pocket. And I think because in part, women's came so much later, uh, there's just always a question. That really leads us into the second study <laughs> that I was hoping that you can talk about. <laughs> so in 2017, um, a BuzzFeed editor said, all right, I've had it. I'm going to ask for volunteers in my office. I'm going to sew your pockets shut. And I'm going to see what, what it's like for you. And so she records their experiences over the course of the day. And the volunteers, they can't keep track of their work badges. They get stuck, locked out of the office. They don't know where to, how to hold their wallet when they're getting takeout for lunch. At the urinal, one guy can't figure out where to put his phone. And they're just so frustrated. And so it's this wonderful thought experiment. You know, if the roles are reversed, how would it feel? And one guy says, it's like knowing electricity had been invented, yet being forced to live in the dark. Um, and, and I should say that this experiment is not the first time this has been done. There were, like in the 1890s, 1900, there were a couple of women who write about what would it be like if men didn't have their pockets? And they run through this same thought experiment. So I think it's clearly the jealousy <laughs> that women have had expressed in these, well, let me show you what it's like kind of, kind of experiment. Yeah. I think for a lot of people, it might be like this natural thought progression that perhaps women's handbag industry has something to do with this, that the handbag industry has a vested interest in keeping women's pockets more decorative than functional. And, you know, I am certainly not going to deny the fact that handbags are a big, big, big business. But this discussion, as you start the book with, of who has pockets and who had to get them is now centuries old at this point. So like that, that question was always there from the very beginning. So it's a history that's far older than the rise of the designer handbag. So Hannah, I'm curious, like, what is it? Why is it that those of us who wear women's clothing are still fighting to this day for pocket parity? I think you put it really well. I, I, I do think that's a, such a great point that the handbag industry is recent, but this division precedes it. And also, I, I don't quite want to say that it's too simple and too easy to blame uh, one industry. Um, I think that it's more, it's deeper than that. And I think this notion that men's clothes are for utility and women's for beauty is just deep. And it relates to how we understand uh, gendered social roles and that that is far more tenacious uh, 
than, and, and goes back further, as you suggest, um, than the handbag industry. I, I think the reason that we, that we don't yet have pocket parity is just multifaceted. Part of it is social. Part of it is about production. Part of it is we've done this. This, we've, this has worked for us this long. Women have bags and that sort of expectation. But I also think it's really about this notion that men's clothes still are for utility and women's for beauty uh, that has really stuck with us. And so that that impetus isn't there. If you walk into a children's department today, any major brand, and you move from the girls' section to the boys' section, it's really clear and obvious. The girls' clothes are sparkly, the shorts are short, and there are very few working pockets. And I feel as though we are training girls to expect inconvenience and sort of really retrograde notions of gender show up early. And that's where we haven't disturbed this. Even though we, even though there's been all this hubbub recently, that kind of change hasn't really occurred. We want pockets still remains the theme of the day. Everyone wants pockets. <laughs> Hannah, thank you so much for joining us mm-hmm. on Dress. This was a delight. This is going to make a lot of people very happy that we got to further their own questions about why women's garments may not have pockets as frequently. Um, I'm not sure if we came to any clear cut answer, but that's okay. Right. We did not come to a clear cut answer, but I hope I hope it was fun. I know I certainly had a great time talking to you, April. Yes. And we've only covered just a handful of the themes that are covered in your much broader exploration of the history of tailored and inset pockets that covers 500 years in the book. So this was just a little bit of snippet. And for those of you who want to learn a little bit more, grab Hannah's really amazing book. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your more than 500-year exploration of the history of pockets. And dress listeners, you can get your own copy of Dr. Carlson's book via our dressed bookshelf. Head on over to bookshop.org shop dressed, which is where we have more than 100 of our favorite fashion history books organized just for you, many of which have, of course, been featured on the show. Bookshop.org is a very cool Brooklyn-based organization which works with independent booksellers exclusively. So when you shop our bookshelf, you're not supporting Mr. Bezos, but rather small book retailers (laughs) across the country, as well as two of your favorite podcasters. So head on over to check that out. And that's bookshop.org slash shop slash dressed. Also, I would like to make sure that we also plug something that didn't quite make it in today's episode, but this is actually something that Hana and I did chat about a bit um, when we were speaking, and that is this other website, which is dresseswithpockets.com. Um, and this is fascinating. This was launched in 2019 by Jim Sabo. And the site itself is um, sort of an aggregator and it calls together thousands of women's wear garments, which feature pockets that are available online for sale. And it links out to the individual brands websites where you can purchase these items. They take a small commission um, from the brands to list it on their site, but all of that detective work about finding like dresses and jumpsuits and other like really amazing things that have pockets all of this work has already been done for you. And as Sabo says, the website, quote, is giving you 10,000 chances to say, 
it's got pockets. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and a really kind of cool, interesting side note here is that Sabo has noted that many of his repeat customers are trans women who grew accustomed to pockets being a given in menswear, but now expect no less after their transition. So this makes perfect sense. And Sabo also says that his entire goal with this website is to ultimately make it irrelevant when we reach the point of pockets for one and for all. And this site has an entire page already devoted to sustainable brands, which we love. So you can shop for pockets with ease and also do it ethically. Pockets, sustainability, two of the things we love most on Dressed. As we love our listeners, and thank you because that does it for us this week, may you consider where the hot pockets reside in your wardrobe next time you get dressed. Remember, we love hearing from you, so if you'd like to write to us, you can do so via email at hello at dressedhistory.com. You can also DM us on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast, which is where we post images to accompany each week's episode. And if you'd like to search for the Instagram content connected to this specific episode, you can check out the hashtag dressed320. That's dressed320. Did you know that you can now listen to Dressed ad-free for just $3 a month? Ditch the ads. Check out the show notes or our link tree in Instagram for the link to subscribe to our exclusive content, which is the ad-free version of Dressed. This will appear in your feed just like normal, and your support is always appreciated. More Dressed coming your way on Thursday. Dressed, the history of fashion, is a production of Dressed Media.